following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I had come from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and keep them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So, this, in this section of the, of the prayer that Jesus prays, he's praying primarily specifically for these 11 guys who are with him in the room. This is the night before Jesus dies, the night before his crucifixion. He's just shared the Passover meal with his disciples. He's washed their feet. And now he's gone through a long conversation with them. And now he turns toward heaven and he prays. He prays for them, this ragtag group of guys that has traveled with him over the last three and a half or so years. They've watched his public ministry. They're, they're a pretty motley crew. And Jesus knows that he is about to hand this whole movement over to them. That, that as he is going to ascend back to heaven, he's handing the whole work that he started to them and he's entrusting it to them to carry it on and keep on doing what he has done in the world and keep on extending his kingdom and the power of the Spirit. So he prays for them. And he prays within earshot of them so that they can hear what he's praying. And at the heart of this prayer that Jesus prays for these disciples is this. At the second half of verse 11, this is really the key thing in this section that he prays. He says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Uh, some of your translations might say, keep them. 
that older word, keep, the idea of keeping them safe, protect them, guard them, watch over them. That's the sense that this word has. And Jesus is more specific later on about what kind of protection he's asking for for his disciples. In verse 15, he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That's Of, of all the things Jesus could pray, for his disciples, could have prayed for boldness, could have prayed for wisdom, could have prayed for all these things. But he prays that God would protect them from the evil one. And so I, I've sensed in this passage that that's what I've needed to focus on, is the work of the evil one and the way in which God protects us from him. But I will tell you that this has not been easy for me. Um, and I feel like in the last couple of weeks I've been living this kind of battle that we're talking about today and it's just reminded me and confirmed to me how real this stuff is and how serious this is i feel like for me getting up and preaching now this is the end of a journey that i've been on with this passage and with talking about the evil one that's been really really hard really difficult for you you're hearing this for the first time for me I, to be honest i'll be glad when this is over because this is not easy I, I don't like talking about the evil one i don't like talking about the devil and the devil doesn't like us talking about him either is what i've discovered is um, he, he's the, he, he prefers to be in the shadows. He prefers to be in the darkness. He prefers that we would have a view of him like a cartoon character, like a kind of mythical figure who's not really real and doesn't really do much. He likes it that way because then we don't take him seriously. But when you start talking about the evil one and you start naming the ways in which he is at work in the world, he starts to agitate. He starts to get unhappy. And I have sensed that myself. So this is why... I shared with you earlier, you know, that this has been hard for me and I just appreciate you continuing to pray as we talk about this because the battle is real. The evil one is real. Uh, and he, he has real power and he really does work in the world. And Jesus prays that his disciples, and I think we could say by extension all of us, that we would be protected from the evil one. In Scripture, the evil one has, has many, many titles. He, he, he's called Satan, the devil, Lucifer, uh, prince of the air, the lord of the world, father of lies, all, all these things. But, but in scripture, you never have a personal name for the devil. He's never given a personal name. Satan is not his name. When, when the word Satan is used, it's always used with the definite article, with the word the. So it, it should be translated the Satan, which just means the opponent. Even the word Lucifer, that's not his name. That's just a translation of the phrase morning star in Isaiah. It's just a description of who he is. He's never given a personal name. And I think it reflects the fact that the evil one doesn't have true personhood in the fullest biblical sense. Because I think biblically, to have true personhood means that you've at least got the propensity for relationship with God, as human beings do, as the angels of God do. That you've got that propensity. Satan has none of that. He's barred from the presence of God. He has no relationship with God. He will never have a positive communion with God. He doesn't have that. And so he's not described with a personal name. But that doesn't mean he's not a real being. And this is so important. Please don't hear me saying that Satan's not real. Just because he's not described in personal terms, he is a real creature. He is a real person, if you like, a real, real being, a real entity. And he really is at work in the world. He used to be uh, one of the angels of God, one of the most beautiful angels uh, in heaven. And there was a point in time before God created the world where Satan usurped the authority of God and was cast out of heaven. And so his realm now is the, is the world. That's why Jesus prays for his disciples 
who are in the world because that's the realm where Satan is at work and his whole purpose is to rob and steal and destroy and tear down the purposes and the plans of God. In a sense, he doesn't really care about us. You know, at, at one level, he doesn't care about us. What he cares about is attacking God. What he cares about is opposing the work of God in the world. But because God cares about us, Satan cares about us too. Because we are the ones whom God is seeking to redeem, the evil one cares about seeking to thwart that redemptive work that God is doing and do all he can to, to, to malign the image of God in us, to damage our relationship with God, our relationship with self, our relationship with one another. And he's a real being who is doing this right now. He's, he's at work. And I think sometimes we can be ignorant of the ways in which the devil is at work in the world. And he likes that. Sometimes we can just talk about evil in kind of a generic sense. We talk about sin and we talk about brokenness and dysfunction and, and, and troubles and all these things and environmental factors and systemic injustice and whatever. And we don't often feel comfortable talking about the fact that behind all of that, there is an evil one. There is a real evil one. And he is working in whatever ways he can to destroy the work of God. And I think we've got to be careful we don't go to one or other extreme. On the one hand, it's easy to kind of ignore the devil. On the other hand, it's easy to make too much of him and to see him around every corner and to see him as the immediate cause of everything. And that's not helpful either. It's, it's profoundly damaging to say to someone who's struggling with mental health that that's just the work of the devil and you've just got to rebuke the devil and he'll flee. That is so damaging. It is so, that, that is stigmatizing people in a way that's so destructive. It is not helpful to say to someone who is struggling with addiction, just resist the devil. You just got to send the devil, just cast the devil out, cast the demons out because it can abdicate our responsibility or it can villainize people. And that is so unhelpful. So we need to acknowledge the natural and human and, and chemical and environmental factors that go on with all the evil in the world. But we also cannot be naive to think that there is not an evil one who is ultimately the author of all sin and all evil in the world. There is. He, he does exist. And there is a real spiritual battle going on. We've, we've got to become aware, I think, of the reality that we are locked into a spiritual battle, that we are part of that battle, that Satan is opposing the work of God, and the battleground is our lives. It's not a, not a cosmic struggle that's just happening out there somewhere in the heavenly realms, in some other place. The battleground is our lives. The, the territory is our lives. That's the contested territory where this battle between God and Satan is being played out. It's not an equal battle, and we'll talk about that later, but there is a battle, and Satan is doing all he can to damage our faith, to sow seeds of doubt. He's trying to rip families apart. He's trying to damage marriages. He's trying to sow seeds of dissension in churches, create factions and groups and church splits and division, drive people away from each other. He's troubling our hearts and our minds. He's inciting violence against people and cultures and groups. He's creating division. He's telling us lies. He's sowing lies in our mind. He is at work and he will use whatever tactics he can to tear us down. And the more aware we, I'm not saying be scared of that, but I'm saying be aware of that. That's the reality. 
that the Bible presents very clearly that there is a spiritual struggle going on, that Satan is involved in that, and he's doing all he can to damage our lives, to rob and kill and destroy the faith, particularly the faith that we have in Jesus. So it makes sense, I think, that Jesus prays that his disciples would be protected from the evil one. And I want to talk about a couple of ways in which God does this. I don't want to spend all of our time just talking about how bad Satan is and all the things he does, because what Jesus prays is that we would be protected from the evil one. And we are being protected from the evil one, even as we speak through Christ, through his blood shed on our behalf. We are protected from him. The first way in which God protects us from the evil one is by restraining Satan's activity in the world. And you see this particularly in the story of Job. In Job chapter 1, you have this fascinating interchange between Satan, or the Satan, and God. So Satan comes into the presence of God and says, uh, no, God rather says, look, have you seen my servant Job? Look how righteous he is. And Satan says, well, that's only because you've put a hedge of protection around him. And if you took that away, he'd, he'd curse you. So God says, okay, I'm going to lift away this hedge of protection I've placed around Job, and you can, you can have your way with him, but just don't harm a finger. Don't, don't place a finger on his life itself. You have to preserve his life, but you can take other things away from him. And so Job's life is, is decimated, and he suffers extreme loss, goes through huge suffering. But among other things, what that interchange teaches us is that Satan is limited in his power, that God is the one who gives permission according to his will and providence, and we don't quite know why, but Satan has to seek God's permission to mess with our lives. It's the same thing when Jesus says to Peter, Satan has sought permission to sift you like wheat. The real power is with God, and God is at work restraining the force of Satan. Because I think sometimes there's a lot of bravado talk about the devil. You know, in, in, some, in some circles, it's kind of, you know, we talk about we're going to resist the devil, we're going to tear the devil's kingdom down, we're going to rebuke the devil, we're going to send the devil away, and all this kind of devil talk like we're the ones who are going to just deal to him. The reality is that if God allowed Satan to have free reign in your life, you wouldn't last a second. We would crumble and curse God and die, probably. That at every moment, God is holding back the full force of Satan's onslaught because he knows that we are weak and vulnerable people. He doesn't let us be exposed to the full onslaught of, of Satan's barrage. He, he just doesn't. And that should, I think, be some encouragement for us that even though you'd be going through things right now that are really hard, maybe you're tangled up in some area of temptation, area of sin that's really difficult for you, perhaps you're going through really difficult times going through real suffering, you can still know that even in the difficulties of those things, God is still restraining the work of Satan in your life. He is still putting limits around what Satan can and can't do. He's still placing a hedge of protection around your life. And even when he allows in his providence for that hedge to be temporarily taken away, he still places limits on what Satan can and can't do with you because he loves you. So 1 Corinthians 10 says that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So you can know that whatever God's allowing you to go through, He will match that with the strength to endure it. The very fact that you're going through what you're going through is proof that it's been looked at by God 
and God has allowed this to I'm not saying he's caused this to happen, but he's allowed this to happen. And it is only equal to the strength that he will give you to endure and to stand and to have faith in the midst of what Satan is bringing against you. God will only allow Satan to afflict you and to agitate your life in as much as God will give you the strength to endure that. So he is. you might not feel like you have that strength. You might feel like it's all just too hard, too overwhelming. You can't possibly stand up in the midst of this. But the very fact you're going through it means that God has seen it fit to allow that and he will give you the strength to face it. So we can be encouraged, I think, that God does restrain the force of Satan in the world. We have no idea what it would be like if God just allowed Satan to have free reign. But there is one person for whom this didn't apply. There's one person whom God did allow Satan to have unrestricted access, and that was Jesus. This is the irony of what Jesus is praying here, that he's praying for us, he's praying for his disciples, that we would be protected, that we'd be protected from the evil one and from his schemes, and yet Jesus was the one person for whom God didn't answer that prayer. That God did allow Jesus to experience the full onslaught of Satan's attack. That's what the cross represents. If you, if you want to see what unrestricted evil looks like, you look at the cross. And even there, we can't fully see it. Because so much of it is beyond what was visible. But the cross, before it becomes our redemption, is a picture of the fullness of Satan's attack unleashed upon the innocent Son of God on the cross. That Satan on the cross concentrated all of his firepower on Jesus. He threw everything he had at Jesus. The fullness of human evil, the fullness of political, social evil, the fullness of spiritual, demonic evil, it was all channeled by Satan into Christ on the cross. It was the concentration of all Satan's power, unlimited unrestricted. And God the Father allowed that to happen, not because he didn't love his son, but because he desperately loves us. He knew this was the only way to secure our redemption. And so the Father did not restrain Satan in that moment. He allowed Jesus to be fully afflicted. And yet in that very act of dying and absorbing the fullness of evil, Jesus won a decisive victory over the devil. This is the central truth that needs to be proclaimed. I've sensed that maybe this is the heart of what the devil doesn't want said, that must be said, that on the cross, Jesus won a victory over the devil. In that very act of shame and dishonor that the cross was, in all of its humiliation and its ugliness, that was the very means by which Christ conquered Satan and defeated him and stole his territory and robbed him of power and, and transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of grace. That's what Jesus has done. And he's done that by absorbing all of our sin and all of our mistakes and failures and dysfunction and weakness and failure upon himself. He's absorbed all of that. So those of us who belong to Jesus are taken out of the grip of the devil taken out of slavery to Satan, and we're transferred into the kingdom of light. And once that's happened, what power does Satan have? Once that's happened, what victory does Satan have? That's why Jesus has conquered the devil. 
because he has no power over our lives. He can't dominate us anymore. The word that Jesus uses for this is sanctified, that we have been sanctified. It just means that we've been set apart. We've been set apart from Satan and his schemes and his domain, his kingdom, if you like. And we've been set apart for the kingdom of God, in the family of God, in the grace of God, in the spacious place of forgiveness and freedom, covered by the salvation that's found in Jesus. That's where we stand. That's why we don't need to be afraid of Satan and his schemes because we are covered in the blood of Christ and it's the name of Jesus that has real power. It's not you and me. We don't have power to resist the devil. He's far more powerful than we are, but he's far less powerful than Jesus. And that's the point. We are in Christ. It's not an equal battle that's going on here between Satan and God. It's, this is not Batman versus Superman. This is Jesus having won a decisive victory at the cross. Satan is a defeated enemy. And one day he's going to be a destroyed enemy. One day when Christ returns, Scripture says Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. He'll either be tormented forever or utterly destroyed, whichever way you read it, but he will be done away with completely. But for now, he's mortally, fatally wounded, but he still tries to agitate. And yet Jesus has won a victory. So what God is doing in the world is not so much fighting this equal contest. He's outworking a victory. He's outworking his victory in the world. And he's extending his kingdom and he's pushing back the kingdom of the evil one, pushing back the kingdom of darkness all the time. We don't want to be naive with that and assume Satan has no ability to agitate our lives. He does. But ultimately, he can't dominate us. Ultimately, history is not going his way. The future is not on his side. Christ has won a victory on the cross. Satan has been disarmed. The powers, Paul says this in Colossians 2, Christ triumphed over the powers of evil on the cross, made a public spectacle of them. Just as Jesus was made a public spectacle of on the cross, he, in that very same act, made a public spectacle of evil, strung it up on its own cross and crucified it. Jesus has defeated the evil one. So we don't need to be afraid of him. In Christ's strength, then, we can stand against the powers and the schemes of the evil one because we are protected by God. And the main way in which God protects us is by keeping us secure in His grace. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be exposed to temptation. Of course you will be, and you are. And we could all name the various temptations that we're tangled up in at the moment, the battles that we're losing and struggling with. Those things are going to happen. But the main way in which God protects us is by anchoring us so securely in His grace that even though trials come, even though temptations come, Satan can never pluck you out of the Father's hand. He just can't. He just can't do that. He has no authority to do that. He can't snatch you away. He can't steal you away. He can't rob you of life. He has no ability to do that. You are secure in the grace and the mercy of Jesus. That's what we need to know. It's that covering of grace that protects us. You're going to face some hard times. Some of you are facing them now. You're going to be in the middle of affliction. And Satan might feel like at the moment he's just agitating your life. But you are anchored in the grace of God. You are right now protected by the blood of Christ. That's what you need to stand firm. It's not about mustering your own bravado to try and defeat the devil. It's about standing in the grace of God and allowing Jesus to fight that battle for you and claiming his power and claiming his strength and claiming his authority even in your weakness. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to be broken. It's the power of Christ, not our own power. We're protected in the grace of God.
on Thursday of this week, I was sitting in my office trying to pull this message together, and it was just, it's been hard going. You know, the, the message wasn't flowing as much as I hoped it would be. It wasn't coming together, and I was so discouraged sitting in my, in my office, just feeling like this is useless. I've got nothing to say. This is hopeless. This is going to be an absolute mess. I can't stand up there and preach this. This is going to be terrible stuff. And uh, I was just so, just feeling down on myself. And I can see now, looking back, that I really was, I think, living this, living out this message. It's like God kind of took me through this message, I think, before he takes all the rest of you through this. He's kind of taken me through my own battles with putting this together. And Satan was just in there agitating me and, and really seeking to discourage me. And I felt uh, led, in some way, to pick up a book off my bookshelf by Henri Nouwen called The Life of the Beloved. It's a book, I don't even think I've read this book. Uh, but I just felt led to grab this book and, and read parts of it. And in this book, Henri Nouwen talks about how the greatest temptation that many people face is the temptation towards self-rejection. Uh, you might think that it's greed, lust, pride, all these, you know, the seven deadly sins. But he says, underneath so much of that is the temptation towards self-rejection. Because often the, the reason we engage in, the, in, in, in lust or whatever is because we're trying to mask our own self-rejection. Now, self-rejection is at the heart, and that immediately resonated with me. That's what I was experiencing, was surfacing all my insecurities, all my anxieties, and it was, it was that temptation towards self-rejection, that lie of the devil, that we are not good enough, not smart enough, not competent enough, not interesting enough, not able enough, not gifted enough, not qualified enough, not attractive enough, whatever. You fill in the gap. You know what it's like in your life. The things that we feel, we're not this enough. Not lovable enough, not worthy. And, and Satan just runs that record over and over, doesn't he? It is relentless. It's relentless in my life. I suspect for many of you, in a variety of ways, this is the broken record that just keeps on going around. And there's a, a thousand variations on the theme, but at the heart of it is the temptation to self-rejection. And, and Henri Nouwen comes back in this book to the importance of centering ourselves on our belovedness. In Christ. I love the way he used that word, not just that you're loved by God, but our belovedness. And he keeps over and over again using the words that God spoke to Jesus when he was baptized. Do you remember what they were? And he says, these words are ours because we're in Christ. So the words that God spoke to Jesus, that we can hear those as addressed to us. Do you remember the sentence? In the older English version, it says, you are my beloved, on you my favor rests. And man, hearing those words, I think when I heard those words, read those words, and really heard them as addressed to me, I think that's the moment in which the power of Satan was broken in that particular battle. There's such a freedom in that. If you can hear those words truly spoken to your heart by the Father, you are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. If you can sit with those words long enough to allow them to work their way into the core of your being, it will truly transform you, and it will be freeing. Satan's got no power over that. He can't respond to that. He's got no answer to that, because you are beloved. You are the beloved of God, because you're in Christ. Jesus is the truly beloved Son, and you and I, those that belong to Christ, we are in Him. So we don't need to fear anymore. What we need to do is remind ourselves, when those lies come in, we need to respond simply and firmly with that truth, with those words. I'm, I'm just grabbing onto those words these days. You are my beloved. 
on you my favor rests. Not because of anything in me. Not because anything in me is remotely worthy of it, but out of the sheer mercy of God, he's chosen to call me his beloved. I don't deserve that, but that's amazingly freeing for me. And I think that is where and how the power of the evil one to disturb and agitate and lie to us over and over again. I think that's where it's broken. So I want to encourage you today. I simply want to ask you, I'm really aware that in in, in this group of people, there's all kinds of struggles going on. And you be aware of the ways in which Satan is trying to afflict and agitate and disturb your life at the moment. I want you to hear those words of being God's beloved. I want you to know that Jesus is still praying that prayer for us. That this prayer he prayed, it wasn't just one night before he died. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is now in heaven interceding for us continually before the Father. So he's still praying. He's still praying for you right now. He's praying, Father, protect them. Protect them from the evil one. Protect them by the power of your name. When you face the toughness of life and temptations, you can know Jesus is there praying for you. He's interceding for you continually, praying to God for the strength that you would endure, praying that God would hold back the force of Satan in your life, and praying above all that you would hear those words spoken over you. You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. So, I don't really know how to end this message other than to say I'd like to take a few moments just to be, to be still and to be quiet and to acknowledge and to name the ways in which right now the evil one is trying to get his claws into your life. I know that's happening for some of you. And I want us just to rest in the deep, deep love of Christ and pray that the power of God's love for us and the victory of the cross of Christ would break the power of whatever Satan is seeking to do in your life. I can't make all the applications for you, but I know there's those struggles, some more than others. But let's just sit in the grace of God and truly ask that we would receive power from Jesus, not in our striving and our effort, but that he would grant us the power to endure what we're going through and anchor us so securely in his love and remind us of our belovedness in Christ. So let's pray together, shall we? You may be struggling this morning with some area of temptation in your life, maybe some kind of addiction or compulsive behavior, some kind of sin that just keeps on rearing its head in your life, some some pattern of living, speaking, acting, thinking that's just got its claws into you and you just keep on falling into the same hole. God, I pray right now, for those people that are tangled up in sin and just just bound and shackled by it and are feeling just so self-rejected because of it. God, I pray right now that you would come and give them power by your Spirit, that, Jesus, they would know your favor rests on them, that they would know they are truly loved by you and that your love and your truth would set them free. Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would give them power to resist what the evil one is seeking to do in their lives and the way in which he's seeking to harm them and to drag them down and, to, and to, to make them less than who you created to be. I pray, Father, you'd pour new power, fresh power into their lives, that they would have the strength of your Spirit, and through all of this tempting that, God, they would never lose sight of how deeply loved they are by you. They'd never lose sight of your grace. I pray they would have a sense right now that they are held in your hands. Father, for those who are being afflicted this morning by some kind of 
difficulty and suffering that's just not of their making at all. Those of you that are going through difficulties in relationships or health problems, financial problems. Father, I pray for those brothers and sisters here that you would hold back the evil one and that you would place a hedge of protection around those people. We pray, Father, that you would place your angels around them to guard them and to protect them and above all to protect their faith. That's what you prayed for Peter, Jesus, that, you, that his faith wouldn't fail even though he was going to be severely tested. I pray for those this morning who are battling and struggling that you would pour out your spirit, that they would be protected by you, that they would be secure in you. I pray you'd give them the strength to stand, simply to stand, not, not even to move forward, but just to stand in your grace, to stand in your power, so that after the storm has passed, they may be found still standing. Give them your strength, Father. Give them your assurance that the battle is yours and not theirs. Jesus, we're so weak and Satan is trying so hard to crush us and take us down. And Lord, I just freely confess to you, I don't have the power to resist that. I don't have the power to stand against him. Jesus, all we have is your grace. All we have is the cross. And right now, Jesus, we just, we just picture ourselves standing in the shadow of the cross of Christ. And we just want to claim and affirm as a church family that it's only at the cross of Christ that we find power and it's at the cross of Christ that we find the grace to endure and to stand in the midst of trials and the devil's schemes. Thank you, Jesus, that you have won a victory over Satan, that he's a defeated enemy. Help us not to be scared of him. Help us not to be anxious, but to have confidence in your love confidence in your grace and we look forward to the day jesus when you return and satan is no more and evil is finally done away with and we just say come lord jesus bring that day closer and until then give us your strength and your grace to stand firm in the cross of christ in our relationship with you and we pray it in your mighty name which has great power in the name of jesus This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.